Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter 7. We were in Matthew chapter 7 last week when we were looking at the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. We're going to go back to that same passage and look at something else as well. Starting again in verse 13. On Wednesday nights I've been talking about this subject as well. And now I have have it here for Sunday morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. We understand a narrow way, a singular path, versus a broad way with many lanes of highway. We understand the picture that Jesus is painting here. And he's saying that there is a straight or narrow way. It's not a difficult way as some Bible translations or versions read, but rather it is narrow because it is not popular. And few there be that find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. It is the broad way. Now, verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. A false prophet is someone who is described as being in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, truly, he is a wolf and not a sheep. He wears a sheep's costume. He looks like a sheep on the outside, but he isn't one. So uh, today, I want to just look at this today and talk about the idea of beware of false prophets. Why is this important? Because Jesus said in the last days there would be many. The word of God tells us there would be many false prophets. There would be many that would deceive, and we need to be aware of that and be very wary of it. So let's pray, and then we'll go on today. Lord, we ask that you just help me to have a clear mind and heart, and that you'd help me to say what needs to be said, and that it would be understood. Help us to hear from you and your word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to try to talk fast, and hopefully you can listen fast. In 2 Peter chapter number 1, 2 Peter chapter number 1, it says in verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which, he, which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, Peter is saying, listen, these are not cunningly devised fables. This is not just a really craftily put together book that we've come up with, but rather we were with Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, we were with him in the Holy Mount. What is that talking about? The Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up to the mountain, and there they met with Moses and Elijah, and God spoke from heaven. God's voice spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but that would be awesome to hear. I don't even know what I would think. I think I'd fall down on my face to hear God speak from heaven. And Peter said, I got to hear that voice. I was there. And I think if it were possibly you and I, we might say, hey, I was there, right? 
In other words, you all know stuff, but you don't know what I know. Because I was there. But that's not what Peter says. Look at verse number 20, 19 and 20. Peter says, I was there. I heard God speak and say, this is my beloved son, capital S. And yet, verse 19, he says, we have also a more sure. When you say more sure, that means it's more. I learned that in Bible college. When we have also a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, I know I heard God say what he said. I saw Moses and Elijah transfigured there with Jesus and us. And yet we have a more sure word. That's incredible. Peter's saying, you weren't there, I know, but you can be more sure of the word given than of experience. You know, there are false religions that base it on experience. People got visits from angels, supposedly. Listen, the devil used to be an angel of light. He knows how to transform himself into an angel of light. I don't care what experience someone comes up with. In fact, Deuteronomy 13 says, even if you have a prophet that prophesies some kind of sign and it comes to pass, if he says something against my commandments, don't listen to him. Even if his magic trick works. Because we are supposed to be more sure of the word of God. Where do you get truth? The blurb that I played on the screen a minute ago. Where do you find truth? I, you, you can't tell me anything other than the word of God. That, I mean, everything else might be, might be a descendant from the word of God as far as people being honest about things, but nothing is absolute truth other than the word of God itself. That is what is absolute. Some will say there are no absolutes. And some smart aleck said, can you be absolutely sure? We have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, that you pay attention to it, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Private interpretation. I read where one man said he looked in a hat and got revelations from God or looked in some special thing and he's privately interpreting something, writing books. There's a whole religion out in Utah built on that. We don't have private interpretation. What we have is a book written by 40 different human beings and most of them didn't know each other. Moses never met Isaiah, and Isaiah never met Jesus in person. And yet everything that they wrote perfectly fits together without any prophecy not being correct, and it's all proof that really they didn't write it, they just were the secretaries, and he was the author. And knowing this, no prophecy of Scripture is in any private interpretation, for the Holy Spirit, Holy excuse me, for prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So my first statement to to you today is beware of the false prophet's view of the word. What is their view of the word? How do you tell a false prophet? What do they say about the word? 
please tar and feather me if you ever hear me say, now, this word should have said, now I know it's in the Bible, but I want to tell you it should have said, and, and, and maybe I'll follow it up, because I've studied Greek and Hebrew and Latin, and I know. And, and you know what? That sounds intimidating, especially if I can start quoting some Greek. Let me tell you something. Beware of someone's view of the word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. It isn't just a coincidence that we kicked God out of public school. We kicked God out of our society and that's how we got public school. The original idea of schooling in America was so that people could teach and their children would know how to read the word of God. Not only do we, do we not have children knowing what God's word says today, we have children that don't know how to read at all. And the more you get away from truth, the more you're going to get into error. And the more you get away from light, the more dark it will become. Beware of someone who says, you need to listen to me. No, you want to find the one who's saying, no, you need to listen to the word of God. What does God's word have to say? The Bible says in John chapter one, and you can turn there with me if you want to, John chapter one, in the beginning, verse one, John one, in the beginning was the word. Notice it's capital W. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And verse 14 says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We just celebrated this verse at Christmas. Verse 14 is Christmas. Jesus is called the word of God. See why we shouldn't mess with the word? We changed Jesus. The Bible warns us that there are other Jesuses out there. There's another Jesus and another gospel. You can't mess with the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and it's not by accident. He's called the word. And I believe it's just as wrong for me to disrespect the written word as it is the living word. Beware of their view of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have Christ by itself because all that means is the Messiah anointed one. For you and I, we know who that is, but there are other people with a different Messiah. There's a whole group of people who deny that Jesus is the Messiah. There are people who want to use the word Jesus, and he's a cuss word in that name of Jesus. But again, another Jesus, another gospel. But Lord Jesus Christ, all three Isaiah chapter 7 in verse 14 says, Behold, a virgin would conceive and bear a son. But you've heard me say before, there are other Bible versions out there that says, Behold, a young woman will conceive and bear a son. You just wiped out the whole point of that prophecy and the whole point, the whole specialness of it when you change it from virgin to young woman. Listen to me clearly. Mary was a virgin after Jesus was born. The Mormon religion teaches that Elohim had a relation with her. 
That's not the God of the Bible, and that's not the virgin birth. It is a virgin birth. Luke 2.33 says, and, his, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. But there are other versions that say his father and his mother marveled at those things. Joseph was not his father. So it was important for them to say, and Joseph and his mother marveled. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, the Bible says concerning Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. There are versions today that say, who being in the form of God didn't think being equal with God was something that he could grasp. That's opposite. There are religions that teach that Jesus was man and eventually he became God. I read in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. In other Bibles it says, and the word was a little g God. The New World Translation is the Jehovah's Witness Bible. Someone rightly said the Jehovah's False Witness. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. You see, you heard it earlier. There's, what is it, 80% of people today say they're Christian, but only 9% read their Bible? Do you realize how many... That's, that means that 70% call themselves Christians but really don't know what the Bible says. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I got another birthday this week. As I get older, I forget stuff. And I find myself reading God's word every day and I'm reading it in a calendar, in a calendar rotation. So I'm coming back to the same passage the next year and I'm thinking, wow, that's good. I forgot that. You know, pastor, I don't forget everything. No, you might not forget everything, but pretty soon, if you're not holding to the truth, you can get fooled pretty easily. And it might sound the same. And in fact, if I read some of these other versions, it might sound the same until you look at it and go, whoa, it says little G God. That's different than big G God. And then you go over to Daniel chapter three. I just want to give you one other example of their attitude toward Jesus Christ. You see, it is taught that Jesus Christ was not God when he was born, but he finally attained Godhood. That's blasphemy. That isn't the God of the Bible. That's not Jesus of the Bible. In Daniel chapter 3 and verse 25, it says this. You know the story. I'm sure several in here understand the story. It's talking about how that the the four young men or the three young men were thrown into the fiery furnace and they were in the fiery furnace and the Bible says that the king looked in and he said, I see four, I see four. We threw three in and I see four and the form of the fourth one looks like the son of God. That's what it says, Daniel 3 verse 25. He answered and said, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the capital S, capital G, is like the Son of God. Is there any doubt about who that is? Now, if you have a New World Translation or a Jehovah's Witness Bible, it says a son, little s, of the gods, little g. 
You say, that's terrible. Yes, but wait till I tell you that the, new, the, that the new international version says the same thing. And there might be somebody in the room today that's got one in their lap. And not only the new international version, but the English standard version, the ESV says little s, little g, son of the gods. We would never allow the New World Translation in a Christian church. Yeah, but you're reading it the same in these new modern versions that they're giving out today. See, if I were the devil, I wouldn't play fair. If I were the devil, I wouldn't keep wearing my devil costume and just staying on my side of the fence. I would dress up like I was one of them and join them. You think he's already thought of that? That leads to the third, number three. Beware of their view of the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 13 and following, Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. There's a lots, lots of weird concepts about church, and, and, and let me just stop and say that shame on Christians who have portrayed a horrible example of church. Some Christians have made a horrible example of church by the infighting and the squabbling and the carnal selfishness that goes on. It isn't unheard of to hear of people who start to think they own a church. You know who owns the church? The one who bought it with his blood on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi and asked, his disciples saying, whom do men say that I the son of man am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist and some Elias and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow. Sometimes Peter said some stupid stuff, but that day he said it right on. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus was saying, The rock, the wise man built his house upon the rock, the rock is me, and what you confessed is absolutely true, and I, I will build my church on me as the foundation and of course, Catholicism teaches that Jesus meant Peter and he built the church on Peter, the first pope. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, if you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, we won't right now, but if you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter clearly says that the church is founded upon Jesus who is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 through 22 tells us that we are built upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. Well, listen, the Bible says in Psalm 11, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And if you get away from the word of God, the written word, you're going to get away from the living word, and pretty soon the church isn't founded on Jesus Christ. And there are many churches today that are a great disappointment because they've left their foundation. Beware of their view of church. People think church is just a universal concept. The word church literally means assembly. This is why during COVID, we recognized, and also the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, the freedom to assemble because our founding fathers understood that we got to have the permission to have church. 
I said permission, that's not the right word. We maintain the right to have church. People are sick, they should stay home. If if it's a blizzard outside and you don't think you can make it safely, you you might want to consider staying home. But never should we allow our government to tell us we're supposed to stay home. Because that's how we church. We church by assembly. That's what church means. Now, today, there, there is an assembly in Baltimore, and it's called the NFL. There's an assembly out in San Francisco, and it's called NFL. Listen, that's assembly too, but that's not Christian assembly. See, the context is biblical Christ assembly. So just because you have an assembly doesn't mean you have church. But in order to have church, you need to be assembly of believers, born again, baptized believers, Acts chapter two, and they assembled together. And 1 Timothy 3.15 says, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Last night I was having a good conversation with one of our members and he was saying how that it's just so awesome to be a part of a local church. And we've, we've followed this and swallowed this lie about mega church and how the big, big is better, big is better. You know something, if you follow American history, little grassroots is always better. That's just how it became great. And what a beautiful thing to be a part of a local assembly. You know, there's these Facebook and social media stuff, and you know, I've got, I've got 3,042 friends. No, you don't. Psychologists tell us that you can't have more than about 100, 150 friends. Really. You can't really know more than 100, 150 people. Well, look at the average size of local churches. You ever go to a mega church? It's like, I'm just a body. I'm just a, a number in this wave. I'm not really a part of this thing. It's a blessing to know, hey, that's Larry seated and he's not there. Why? Because we're local church. That's why. And we notice when one's missing. And we notice when one's suffering. And we recognize the issues and the problems that people are having. And we know. And we've got a prayer list. And we talk about it. We pray about it. (laughs) And we see people baptized. And we see people, lives changed and born again through salvation. Don't ever decide that you can have church at home on your couch. You can't. Don't ever decide that it doesn't matter Because Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I know people who have quit church because they've decided there isn't any good ones anymore. And and based on what their experience is, I understand why they think that. But I'm here to tell you it's not true. Because Jesus said, the gates of hell, there'll always be one somewhere. There'll always be seeds that will sprout somewhere. You just keep looking and following until you find it. Beware of the false prophet's view of church. Beware of the false prophet's view of sin. This is a big one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I can take you to the house in the subdivision here in Custer where we were knocking on doors and I asked this lady, I said, so um, I'm sure you know what sin is. And, And she said, yes. And I said, so, you know, we're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned. She said, I haven't. I, 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 I said, uh, and, and she said, I haven't. Neither has Jeff. That's why he's leaving. 
I said, ma'am, you haven't. She, she said, no. I, 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 I said, oh, oh, and, and, and I realized something. I realized the conversation's over. Because if you're not a sinner, there's really nothing else I can tell you. There's no good about Jesus for you. There's no good news about Jesus for you. See, we can't skip the sin part. That's the, that's the delicate, uncomfortable part. We can't skip it. We can't, we can't just say, all you got to do is believe and all you got to do is pray and, 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 and hold my hand and we'll sing Kumbaya and, and, we'll, and we'll talk about Jesus. Listen, if you don't know you're a sinner, what are you going to get saved from? You can't get saved if, unless you're a sinner. You can't get found unless you're lost. He came back, praise the Lord. The Bible says, Romans 5.12, by one man sin entered into the world. That's Adam. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death and 10 out of 10 people die because 10 out of 10 people are sinners. I mentioned on Wednesday night a very famous, probably the most famous American preacher in recent times was on Larry King Live and Larry King asked him about hell. What about these people who aren't Christians? Do they go to hell? And unfortunately, he sidestepped it. You can't do that. Did you know Jesus mentioned hell more than heaven? Did you know that he came to save sinners? He said, I didn't come to call the quote-unquote righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. You got to understand sin. And Romans 7, 13 says it's exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceedingness of sin. It's wicked. There are no white sins. There are no little sins. Isaiah 59, 2, the Bible says that our iniquities and our sins have separated us from our God. Sin separates me from my holy God. My holy God can't tolerate sin. And so that's why I need Jesus Christ who covers me and gives me a righteous, clean slate. Listen, whether you know it or not, you're a sinner. The good news is you don't have to stay a condemned sinner, though, because of salvation. And that's number five. Beware of their view of salvation. John one twenty nine. John the Baptist said to G, about Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb, capital L, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is the answer for sin. John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That means that he was a goody two-shoes. He was able to prove his lineage all the way back to Abraham. And he was, he was a Pharisee, which means he kept all the rules. And Jesus looked him right in the eye and said, ye must be born again. Your first birth isn't going to make it. I say unto thee, Nicodemus singular, ye, everybody, plural, ye must be born again. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves, Ephesians chapter 2. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. We sing amazing grace because that's why it's amazing. It's amazing that we could be saved. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. I'm glad you came to church today. I'm glad you do good things, but no one's going to heaven because you did something good. 
Salvation is by grace. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness comes through the blood of Christ. There's another very well-known preacher on the radio, and I, I, I even hear him on, on local radio out in California that minimizes the blood of Jesus. You can't do that. Jesus is called the lamb, and the lamb, if you're studying the tabernacle with us, the lamb was the bloodshed of the lamb. The atonement for sin was the blood of the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. We sing about the blood of Christ because it is his precious blood that cleanses us from all sin. It's the precious blood that purchases the church. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is no one else that can save you. John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, it's missing in a lot of Bibles. What does Acts 8:37 say? It says, in answer to the question, why can't I get baptized? The answer to the question is in verse 37. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, I believe. And when you take verse 37 out, it just looks like, well, I have a desire to be baptized, so why can't I get baptized? And you know how many churches are following that missing verse concept? There are so many people who think they're Christian. That's why the percentages are so high. 80% say they're Christian. Why? Because 80% got branded or got baptized and so they were told by some clergy they're a Christian. You're not a Christian because some human told you you were. You're not a Christian because your dad or mom is. You must be born again and it is not baptism. Salvation is not baptism. Don't forget the thief on the cross never did get baptized. But today he would be with him in paradise. It's belief, it's trust, it's having your foundation on the solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some concerning salvation are saying that not everyone can be saved. Some are saying that God has predestined and and has favored some versus others and and so that that Christ did not die for every man. Hebrews chapter uh, number two and verse nine says, he tasted death for every man. Every man was paid for. For God so loved the, the white people. No. For God so loved the, God so loved the world. Is the whole world going to get saved? We know now because, because broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way. So we know it's going to be a small number. But he loved the world. He paid for the world. And salvation is offered to the world. In my smart aleck thinking, I always say to the Calvinists who push this stuff, well, I'll just go ahead and witness to the wrong person anyway. Can't hurt. Am I going to get yelled at because I witnessed to someone who you say can't get saved? You know, some of the greatest amazing story, amazing grace stories in the world are the ones who got saved that no one thought they could. Beware of their view of salvation. Be aware of your view of it too because you might have a neighbor or a co-worker that you've decided they ain't ever going to get saved. Don't play God. I love the grace of God. And God just might hear you say that and say, you want to bet? 
I'm going to rattle his cage until he cries out for me. I don't know. I, I don't believe God makes us get saved, but I do think that God loves those trophies of grace. Ask the Apostle Paul. Number six, beware of their view of heaven. So, Pastor, how, how, can, how can that be bad? Well, heaven, of course, isn't a bad subject. But I've been disturbed sometimes when I've talked to someone and, and, and I've said, so was, was your mother a Christian? And they, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yes. Was your, what, and, 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 and then someone else will have died, you know. Oh, they're, oh, they're in heaven. Oh, they were a great soldier and a patriot. They're in heaven. I get disturbed when I realize that every one of their friends and family are in heaven. Because that's what they want to believe. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean it the way it's going to sound but I actually am encouraged when someone says, no, pastor, I, I don't think, I don't think my dad ever was a Christian. My mother, she was a good woman, but I have no indication that she was born again. You say, why do you like that? I don't like that, except that that person's being honest about how you get to heaven. See, hell isn't just for Adolf Hitler and Osama bin Laden and I'll stop there. Hell's not just, no. Hell is full of good people. That never got saved. You don't have to be bad to go to hell. You just to not get saved. You just to, to live your life good but not really righteous before God the good news is bad people can go to heaven the bad news is good people can go to hell and so beware of their view of heaven if everybody's in heaven and that was the problem with this big name preacher on the Larry King live show he he tried to paint most everybody in heaven it's not it's not what Jesus said Verse 21, we read it last week, but let's read it again. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is that? To believe the gospel. To repent and turn to Christ. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils in thy name, done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. And if you're standing there at the judgment seat of God and the clergy who promised you heaven because of good works and you're both standing there, you're, you, you better realize you're in big trouble because probably both of you aren't going. Beware of their view of heaven and lastly, beware of their view of hell. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 41 and 42 The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25 and verse 41. 
Matthew 25, 41. Thou, then shall they say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Listen to me. God does not want people to go to hell. He prepared hell for the devil and his fallen angels. But if people res refuse Christ and ignore Christ, they will go to hell with the devil and his angels. In verse 46 it says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal I don't think anybody here would have a problem about preaching about heaven. Let's just talk about heaven today. Woo! And we talk about heaven and the, how heaven is everlasting. It's eternal. It lasts forever. And there's no more sorrow and there's no more pain. And the only way there could be no more tears is for God to wipe away our memory so that we wouldn't even remember anything in the past that would give us a tear. And it's just every day is a brand new day and it's eternal and it's everlasting. Woo! Well, but the same book that tells us about heaven tells us about an everlasting lake of fire too. And you can't have heaven without hell. And it can't be called the Broadway if only a few really bad people are there. In Luke chapter 16, a rich man died and he went to hell because he was not a believer. About the same time, a beggar named Lazarus died, and he went to heaven. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Does it sound like he was playing cards with his buddies? You've heard that before. I want to go to hell. That's where all my friends are going. No, you don't. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading, he says, would you please send Lazarus back or someone back and tell my brothers not to come here? I guarantee you, anybody that spends any time in hell will become the best soul winner in the world. Don't go to hell. It's the lake of fire. And notice he was begging for one drop of water. I'm kind of dry right now. I'm going to go in my office and I'm going to grab a jug of water and I'm going to guzzle it. But I have never, ever stuck my finger in a bottle of water and go, ah. But that's all he wanted because that's how desperate he was. And he's still begging. It's been 2,000 years and he's still begging for that drop and he hasn't got it yet. Hell is real. If heaven's real, so is Hell. And shame on anyone who tries to say otherwise. Hell is f more full of people than heaven. Heaven's probably bigger, but hell probably has, will, definitely has more people in it. Beware of false prophets. I remember talking years ago, my wife was, was acquainted with a lady and she was a part of another religion. I think it was Mormonism. 
we had Mormons, we had Jehovah's Witnesses that we were talking to. And I told my wife, there's something I've noticed about these two particular religions, and that is they both have not much of a hell. I think one of them has like three stages of heaven. You can go to the terrestrial or the celestial or whatever it is. And, and, and so, you, you know, you might graduate, you know, not so far up, depending on how good you did down here. But there wasn't much talk about an eternal hell. And I think the other one, they just believe that you just go to the grave and that's it. If you're not one of the special ones that get to go with 144,000 or something like that. And so what I've learned is, you know what? When I talk to someone who thinks that way, I'll just tell them, you know, if you guys are right and and I'm wrong, I'm only going to go to the first level. And the worst thing that happened is I just am annihilated and I don't exist. But if this is the word of God, then I'm going to heaven and you're going to a real hell. Don't let liars trick you into hell. Don't let liars talk you out of the right church. Don't let liars persuade you to read from a different book. Don't let liars change and paint a different picture of the biblical Jesus Christ. Don't let liars make light of sin. Don't let liars sell you on a false salvation. This week we're going to have a wedding. I'm looking forward to it. A little over two years ago, the young lady getting married said, I was raised in a Christian church, Baptist church. My grandmother led me to pray a prayer. And, and, and my grandmother was sincere about it, but I wasn't. And two years ago, as an adult young lady, she said, I need to be saved. And everybody went, oh, we already thought you were. And you know what? If there's someone here right now that's not saved, that's what's going through your mind. But everybody will know. Listen, everyone who is saved is going to go, yes! Thank you for being humble. And praise God, we've rescued another one. Don't follow the liars. Don't follow the liars. What's interesting about the rich man is he said, would you send the dead man Lazarus back? If, if a dead man went back to earth and talked to my brothers, then they would listen. And Abraham said something amazing. He said, they already have the Bible. They already have Moses and the prophets. If they won't believe the word, they're not going to believe a dead man. So don't fall for all. We got to get a new way to. No, we just got to keep preaching the word. If you got one of the calendars today, I like this quote. The word of God is the perfect message to men. If that be spurned, he has nothing more to say to them until they meet him in judgment. When we stand before God, there's going to be books open. The word of God. What are you doing with it? Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray.
before I pray, I just want to ask, would there be anyone that would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be. I know I need to be, and I'm just not sure, and I want to know for sure before I leave the building today. Would there be anyone that would say, Pastor, that's me. I want to talk to you about that in private. Anyone at all? I'm not sure I'm saved. Just raise your hand if that's you. I'm not sure, and I want to know. Maybe you're saved, but Pastor, you mentioned baptism. I need to get baptized. I got baptized before, but it was before I was a believer, and now I'm a believer, and I know I need to get baptized. Would there be anybody say, I need to get baptized, I know it. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you need to just get involved. Maybe you need to get a different Bible. Maybe you need to get right on track. Just quit following the false prophets. They are everywhere. Lord, we thank you for your word. Without it, we don't know what's right. Without it, we don't know who's lying and who's telling the truth. Help us to really respect and love it. Help us to raise that percentage from 9%. Help us to read it and follow it and obey it and share it. And Lord, help us to be kind and loving to those who are fooled, not arrogant not proud. And may we reach more for you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed.